Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. In segment two... This is the best of sports business radio. Kyrie Irving, number one pick in the NBA draft, will be playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers whenever NBA basketball resumes. He'll be in segment two. Charles Barkley, one of my favorite interviews of the last year, is in segment three. And Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, will look back on our conversation with him in segment four. Enjoy the best of sports business radio. You can always find us online, sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at... SB Radio. You can become our Facebook friend. You can also find that link and the link to our iTunes podcast right on sportsbusinessradio.com. Enjoy your holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next week. This is the best of SBR. Back with more after this. We're going at it tonight. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Pleased to welcome to the show Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft, the newest member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kyrie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. So walk me through the process that led you to decide to leave Duke after one season to head to the NBA. What was that process like for you? Um, well, it was definitely a difficult one. Uh, you know, it was even harder being on campus with uh, all my teammates. And, you know, uh, none of the coaches were trying to sway me one way or another, but it was just harder being on campus, uh, you know, a campus I love so much. But um, at the end of the day, it became um, just a decision that was up to me, and I made the best decision for me and my family. So the process was hard, but I'm, I'm great. Um, I'm in the NBA now. Now, I read that you've promised your dad you're going to return to Duke to get that degree. How important is it to you and to your dad to go back and finish up at Duke? Um, it's, it's definitely important. 
you know, um, I didn't come to Duke just to be a basketball player. I came to be a student athlete. Just so happens that, um, you know, my career was cut short. But, um, you know, I still have obligations academically to, um, to fulfill with my father, and that's to, that's to get my degree. Um, you know, I want to graduate with a degree here, so it's really important to me. What was it like playing for Coach K for that one season at Duke? Uh, playing for Coach K for, for one season, um, you know, it was really special for me just based on the relationship I had with him. You know, coming as a freshman and, uh, you know, leading a charge, you know, I kind of describe uh, our Duke team last year as a Ferrari when I was playing. You know, no, it couldn't be stopped. So, uh, you know, our relationship is still, still um, you know, it's all love with Coach K. You know, you know, I love him. I love him for the rest of my life. So the NBA is in a lockout right now, unfortunately. It's got to be a weird time. What are you doing to stay active and fit for when the lockout is over and NBA basketball resumes? Uh, well, right now, um, you know, I'm resting my foot as much as I can. Um, I've, I've been uh, on hiatus for about two months. Uh, once I got drafted, uh, you know, um, I had to rest my foot even more. So right now I'm just uh, been in the weight room a lot and just swimming a lot just to stay in shape. So that's just my regimen. You know, I just get shots up every once in a while, and I'm going to try to stay fit by swimming. You're a guy whose game is based on speed. Um, you look great in that game versus Arizona. You had 28 points. Do you feel like you're going to be able to have that explosiveness uh, in the NBA with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know, it's kind of funny, the Arizona game, I was only probably about 60%. Wow. And, uh, God willing, I was still able to uh, score 28 points. Uh, you know, I had to make a few adjustments, and um, – you know, my, my game is really based off a of change of speed, so I try to use, utilize as much as I can that game. Um, we came up short, but I think my transition to the NBA will be a little bit easier just based on, um, you know, how quick I am now. But, um, you know, we'll see how it goes when I actually get there. Many people have compared your game to Chris Paul. Would you say that's accurate, or is there someone else you would compare your game to? Uh, you know, I've heard that comparison a lot. Um, you know, he is my favorite player. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be um, his competitor next year. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. But right now, I try to define my own game. Uh, you know, everyone, no one knows how to really pinpoint it because I, I don't do anything great. But, uh, you know, I do a lot of things really well. So I just try to have my own game, my own personality. What do you think about being in Cleveland? You're, you're going to Cleveland. They had a rough year last year, but they've got a great coach in Byron Scott, a good organization. You get to play with uh, Tristan Thompson, who I know you've played with previously, at least uh, coming up through some of the Nike events. What are you looking forward to with Cleveland? I'm just really looking forward to, you know, being in Cleveland and um, actually putting on my jersey. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a dream come true to be drafted, especially be drafted number one to a city such as Cleveland, where uh, the fanfare is great. So I'm just really looking forward to being a Cleveland Cavalier for a long time. So I see you've got a deal with Nike. What does it feel like to be part of the Nike family of athletes? They've got some impressive athletes in the stable. Oh, it's definitely a, a great opportunity to be a part of such a great brand. Um, you know, the, the way they market their players. And, you know, I really feel that it's a brand where you have to earn your earn your stripes. And, and that's what I want to do in the NBA and with the Nike brand. So uh, you know, that's why I went with them. Yeah, I was going to ask you, why did you choose Nike over the other companies? I know you've spent a lot of time playing in Nike events. You played in the Jordan Classic. You played in the Hoop Summit. And the Global Challenge is coming to Portland this week, and I know you played in that event. Was that your first exposure to international competition? Oh, uh, yeah, it actually was. That was my first experience playing against international players. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. You know, God willing, I won the MVP. And, uh, you know, that was my first true uh, event where I was around top players all the time and international players also. So it was a great experience. So Tristan Thompson was on the other team. He's your teammate now at the Cavs. You beat him in the Global Challenge. That was a high-scoring affair. Do you remember that game? 
Oh, absolutely. I remember that. Are you going to give him a hard time about that? Is that something that you guys go back and forth on, or uh, is that way in the past? Well, I've been playing against Tristan since I was um, a junior. So, you know, when I was when I transferred to St. Patrick's, uh, he was at St. Benedict's, and, um, you know, that was kind of my breakout game where I started getting recruiting offers. So I thanked him for that. And, um, you know, I thanked him for uh, allowing me to win a gold medal for USA and <laughs> like a global challenge. Talk about coming up through the Nike system and playing against the best competition and, you know, the summer ball. And they've got so many great events that prepare you for the next levels that you go to. That's got to be a great experience for you. Oh, it's definitely a great experience. Uh, I feel like Nike puts puts kids who don't really get that much exposure in a position to get that exposure that, that's needed. And, um, you know, they're, they're such a great brand. The way they market their, their um, events and camps, it just makes everyone – uh, want to go to these camps, and especially if you have all the top players there all the time. And like I said, it's just great exposure, and they do a great job with it. We're joined by Kyrie Irving. He's the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft, po- uh, guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He'll probably play point guard. Uh, Kyrie, a lot of times Nike takes their athletes on promotional trips. They go around the globe. Do you have anything planned to take any trips with Nike? Oh, yeah. It's the 17th to the 22nd, I'll be in China uh, on a Nike tour with them. Uh, which will be a tremendous experience for me. Have you ever been to China? No. No, sir, I haven't. Wow. I went in 2007, and I was actually there when Kobe Bryant was there. And I'll tell you, it's an eye-opening experience. Every athlete that I've ever been over there with, um, it, they just are blown away by the knowledge the Chinese people have of NBA athletes and the reception that they get. And they love your apparel and everything else that you have. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the China trip, experiencing everything I can. So talk more about the Global Challenge. Again, it's coming up this weekend, August 5th to 7th, here at uh, Hillsboro at Liberty High School. $5 gets you in to see all of the games. It's a great, great value. Um, scouts noticed you at that game. You played against international competition. Talk about maybe the, the bonding with your teammates. I see in sports now, especially in the NBA, guys really bond during these events. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the Nike Global Challenge was another breakout um, event for me, just uh, all those scouts being there and actually seeing me for the first time and seeing me in an environment playing against international players. Uh, you know, like you said, the bond that um, that we shared at that event, um, you know, Josh Selby was on that team, uh, Will Barton, Trevor Cooney, uh, Roscoe Smith. I can go down the line about five other teammates that I had. And, um, you know, we kind of grew up on the AU circuit together. So and uh, we wanted to represent the East. Uh, that was our USA team. We were USA Team East, and we represent the East Coast, and we wanted to win a gold medal for the East Coast. So it was a great bonding experience. I um, mean, you know, I got to meet all the players I don't normally see on the AU circuit. It was just a great experience. I know you're on Twitter. You're at Kyrie Irving. Thanks for the retweet for this interview yesterday. That was that was nice. But when you're over in China with Nike, are you going to be sending out some tweets, maybe some images and some updates of what you're doing over there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to document everything. Uh, you know, a lot of... The 19-year-old kids in the world don't really get to experience what I'm experiencing, so I'm definitely going to take it all in uh, create memories. Do you ever just pinch yourself some days and say, I'm 19 years old, number one pick in the NBA draft, and you're with Nike, you're traveling to China? It seems like all your dreams are coming true. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I do have to pinch myself sometimes because sometimes I actually forget that I'm actually an, um, an NBA player. Uh, you know, being down at school, it's, it's kind of hard to remember that, just uh, – you know, Duke is just my comfort. It's just my comfort zone. You know, this is what I know, and you know where I get the best competition all the time. But now that I'm an NBA player, sometimes I have to remind myself that uh, 
you know, I am one. So I definitely have to pinch myself sometimes. Are you at Duke now working out, or were you in the country working out? Um, I've been in North Carolina for about a month, a month and a half now, taking summer classes. So I've been down here the whole time. That's great. I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of the lockout is you can uh, go get some summer classes in and get closer to that degree, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it gives you, you know, uh, a sense of comfortability being here with, uh, you know, all the new guys and uh, being here with your former teammates. It's a great experience. Other than Chris Paul, who are you most looking forward to facing in the NBA? I'm looking forward to facing everybody, uh, you know, just like they're looking forward to facing me. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to the competition every single night playing against a great point guard. Kyrie Irving, you have a bright future in the NBA. I really appreciate you taking time to join me here. Have a great day, and good luck with your trip to China. I think it's going to be wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Watching me like you never watch. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back, and I promised a big guest, and here he is, none other than Charles Barkley, NBA Hall of Famer and TNT analyst. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? I'm doing great. What a beautiful day here in Portland, right? Well, I know you're not used to that, so don't go crazy. <laughs> I'm going to be out there at the golf course, uh, too, at Brian Grant's event, and I thank you for coming in to Portland. This is the second year in a row you've come in for this event. Yeah, I come here every year, man. Brian's such a wonderful guy, uh, you know, and I'm just glad to be a little bit part of it. He's a wonderful person. The city of Portland really roll out the red carpet when we're here, so we have a blast. Hey, you've always had a, a fondness for Portland, going back to your playing days, and then I know when you were here with the Dream Team, uh, that was a fun time for you, too, back in 92, right? Well, I've always said I think the Portland Trailblazers have had the best fans in the world. I actually tried to get traded to Portland when I, tried, when I was getting out of Philadelphia. I just think it's an amazing city, and uh, I love coming here. So how's your golf game doing these days? I saw you on TV in Tahoe, and it looks like your game's gotten much better. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say my game has gotten better. You know what? I play to have fun. I get to smoke cigars, drink some beers. I mean, I'm not very good, but I'm going to have fun out here for sure. You know, Charles, one of the things about you, I used to work for the Blazers, and I saw you meeting with Make-A-Wish kids, and you've done a lot of charity quietly behind the scenes, and I don't think that gets enough publicity. You've been one of the great ambassadors, not only for the NBA, but for sports. Well, I try to always do it behind the scenes because I always tell people I'm not trying to impress anybody. Some people like you, some people don't. I always do it behind the scenes, but I appreciate the compliment. So Shaq is joining you on TNT. Uh, what's that going to be like? That seems like an interesting uh, combination, you, Kenny, and uh, and Shaq. 
Well, we're glad to have Shaq. Number one, he's a wonderful person. He's a great friend of mine. He's a wonderful person. But, you know, we we clearly don't know how it's going to work right now. I mean, clearly we're not working, but we don't know how it's going to work. But we thought he was too much of a great personality to not try to sign. So uh, that, that was the key. I mean, we had to sign him. We didn't declare that we didn't want him to go to the competition. We don't have no idea how it's going to work. But Shaq was just too good of a personality to turn uh, to turn down. Well, and I mean, he just retired, so he's got a really good perspective about the guys that are playing in the league right now. That's got to be helpful. Well, if his perspective is some of these guys can't play dead, he's going to be very helpful. You know, because you know, the NBA is not as good as I wish it could be. I'm not happy with all these young players coming to the NBA before they're ready. Uh, you know, we got some really good players. We got some really great players. But I wish these kids would stay in school a little bit longer. Uh, I hate young kids coming to the NBA who are not ready to play. How's the league different than when you played? I mean, it seems like guys cared a little bit more maybe than they care today, and there wasn't all this marketing and Facebook and Twitter and things like that that the guys are doing now? Well, I think, I mean, like I said, I think there's too many young players that are coming to the NBA before they're ready. Uh, I think it was much better in my day, and I know a lot of young guys don't think that, but people realize, man, players now I think they're more concerned about marketing. Uh, they're more concerned about being on ESPN, making great plays instead of being great players. Uh, that's the biggest difference for me. Joined by Charles Barkley, NBA Hall of Famer, analyst for TNT. So Nike's here in Beaverton, Oregon, and I know you've had a long-standing relationship with them. What's your role with them, and would we ever see any commercials with you and Nike in the future? You know, Nike's been an integral part of my life. Nike's been fantastic to me. Uh, that's one of the reasons, you know, I spend a ton of time in the Portland area because of Nike. Uh, but Phil and the Phil Knight and uh, Howard White, but they're like part of my family, and I'm going to always be loyal to Nike, period, period. The I Am Not a Role Model commercial, one of my favorite commercials ever, and I thought it was just the message it sent was such a great one. Is that your favorite commercial? If not, what is? Well, I think it's probably the most important thing I've done because, you know, when I made that commercial, we knew it was going to be controversial. And I really made it for a lot of young black kids because, unfortunately, a lot of young black kids aren't getting that education. And they all they think about is playing in the NBA. Uh, and, and, you know, this, 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 this sports thing is a big trillion-dollar business, basically. And I worry about these guys not getting their education. And they're not getting their education. And I want them to stop thinking they're going to play in the NBA and go back to school and get their education. So I'm very proud of that commercial. The other thing is on the other side of your career. I mean, you've been successful as a broadcaster. There are other people that have had good success as a business person. But, Charles, there's a lot of guys that they're broke when they're done or they're broke within a few years after they're done. How can those guys be helped? Well, number one, that's a great point. And that's one thing I try to talk about. You know, 75% of professional athletes are broke within five years of retirement. And to be honest with you, it is because of their family and friends. You can't lend your family and friends money. That is the key. You know, you have to learn to say no. A lot of guys don't know how to say no. Uh, but you, you, you have to help them somewhat. Giving people money does not help them. You, all you become is an, 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 an enabler. You know, so you have to learn to say no. You have to invest your money wisely, and you have to save it. That's really the key. 
Well, and you get hit from so many different angles. Hey, invest in this restaurant or... That's what that's my point. You have to learn to say no. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to feel guilty. No one's not giving you any money. And that's really hard to do. People think it's easy. They come to all your family, all your friends, all your homeboys. But you have to learn the magic world. No. We're joined by Charles Barkley, NBA Hall of Famer, TNT analyst. Just a few minutes left with him. Okay, Charles, I've heard you in several interviews say that you think the NBA lockout could potentially wipe out an entire season. Is that still what you think? Yeah, I believe that. I don't think they're going to play at all next year. I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate for the people who work for the teams. You know, the people who work for the arena, they're going to be hurt the most. Uh, but I don't think they're going to play at all next year. And I feel, and that's sad. That makes me sad. Uh, but I believe they're in it for the long haul. The owners are. So they'll miss the whole season because the owners want to basically come up with a whole new economic model? Or what's the reasoning behind your statement? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, I think they do want to come up with a new economic uh, situation. Uh, also, you know, we have this thing going on now where all these young kids in the NBA want to play on the same team. That's not good for competitive balance in the NBA. That's not good for some of these small market teams. So I think that, that, that that's, the real, that's the second reason. I mean, we do, they do want to restructure the, the, the financial situation, but they, we, we, we cannot be successful as a league if all the stars want to play on the same team in the major market. That's not a good business model for the whole NBA. So would you be in favor of something like the NFL does with franchise tags where you could slap a tag on someone and they can't go to another team? Well, we, we, uh, we're going to do – I know they're trying to do something with a franchise tag, but we're going to have to do something because right now it's, 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 it's not good. Last question for you. I know that you've been friends with Tiger Woods for a while, and he's got a new caddy, and you know he's had a lot of changes in his life in the last few years. Have you had a chance to talk to Tiger? I know you're great at helping people. You're here helping Brian Grant this weekend. Have you been able to help Tiger at all? I have not been able to help Tiger at all, and I'm, I'm concerned about Tiger. Uh, I wish him the best. He's like a brother to me, and I wish him the best, but I'm very concerned about him, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's making a lot of pretty drastic changes in his life and people that have been around him for a while. Say that again? <laughs> we call those bad decisions where I'm from. <laughs> well, Charles. You know, I, I just, you know, I, you know, dude, it's just, I feel bad. Uh, you know, I do. I just feel bad for Tiger. Uh, he's like a brother to me. I wish him the best. He's making a lot of bad decisions, and, uh, and it's unfortunate. You've, I'm sure you've seen guys at the highest level surround themselves with people who just tell them what they want to hear, and then they get caught up in that vacuum. Well, that is actually uh, uh, it's funny. That's a great way to frame it. You know, I got to say, people always tell me, say, I, got, I don't have that many friends. I don't like that many people. But one of the keys to being successful is people always going to be honest. And you have to understand, most people who are around you, they work for you, or they're just kiss asses. And they never have a straight phone with you. And that is a major problem. You have to surround yourself with people who are not going to kiss your ass and tell you what you want to hear, who are always going to be honest. And that is a really, really big problem. Yeah, and we all need those people in our lives who are going to be honest and upfront with us and uh, call us on our you-know-what when we're uh, out of line, right? Yeah, man, because you know what? 
it, it, you know, that's a really, really big problem, especially you in the limelight. Because, like I say, most of the people around you, they work for you, and they want you to buy the dinners all the time, they want you to buy all the drinks, and they're not going to street food with you. But you have to have a group around you who are going to say, hey, you what you're doing is wrong, and help you make good decisions. Well, Charles, I will see you out there in a few hours. I hope you have fun on the golf course today. You like Pumpkin Ridge, don't you? I love Pumpkin Ridge, and it's beautiful. I can't wait to go out there. I mean, I still I can't wait to go out there and bang it around. If you had one round of golf left, where would you play? Wow, that's a great question. I would say uh, there's a course out in, uh, in, in California called Cypress, which is part of the most, you know, Pebble Beach is scenic, but... Cypress, to me, is the most scenic golf course in the world if I had one around the golf to play. I know what you're talking about. That is very beautiful. Hey, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem, my man. Thanks for having me on. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. I'm joined right now by the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Mark, thanks for taking the time to join me. I know you have a busy schedule. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. Good to talk to you. So you've been the president of the NCAA for a year now. Look back on your first year on the job and tell us what you've learned about being president of the NCAA and the path that you want to take moving forward. <laughs> wow, well, it's been quite a year, obviously. You know, I came into the job uh, having, been, having been president of a couple of universities and spent my, my entire life on campuses. And, and so I'm, I'm well familiar with and, of course, been actively engaged in intercollegiate athletics um, and the oversight of them for a long time. But, you know, this year was, uh, I think, a surprise to everybody with the the volume and level of um, of scandals and issues that we've had. And then, of course, conference realignment, adding a lot of dynamics to it as well. But in the middle of all of it, we've been able to get some really terrific reforms uh, done, and we're moving forward on a lot of good fronts. So I feel great about all of that. Um, but nonetheless, we got a lot of challenges out there. Yeah, you've shown the ability to make some pretty swift changes during your tenure thus far. Division I Board of Directors recently approved a package of sweeping reforms that gives conferences the option of adding more money to scholarship offers. You've also imposed tougher academic standards on student-athletes. Why were those the most important changes to make right now? Well, after I'd been in the job a little while, I decided I wanted to bring together a group of presidents and have a, a, a couple of days, just uh, me and 
50 or so presidents uh, locked in a room and, and, and talking about those things that really needed to happen in intercollegiate athletics to, to uh, restore some of the credibility that I think we were clearly losing out there. And uh, the first thing that we all agreed on was first, foremost, and always, student-athletes have to be students. They have to be students who happen to be athletes, not the other way around. And, and that meant that we had to hold them to, to high academic expectations, both the, the quality of their academic experience coming into a university and also the kind of performance that they, that they deliver when they're at our universities. And so we, we raised uh, the initial eligibility standards for what, it's required to, what is required to become a student athlete and then also the, um, the requirements that they, they stay successful in the classroom, even if they're going to be eligible to um, to play in any of our postseason tournaments or bowl games. And that's going to have, I think, a profound impact on student behavior. At the same time, we recognize that student athletes are putting in 30, 40 hours uh, a week these days uh, to be competitive athletes. And and uh, that means that they don't have opportunities for part-time jobs like uh, most students and a variety of other challenges that they face. So we wanted to provide uh, for those conferences who have the resources an opportunity to increase the size of the scholarship, but never to exceed never to exceed the uh, the full cost of going to school. So, in other words, this is about paying for schooling, not about paying athletes. There's been confusion that this is about pay for play. It's unequivocally not. Uh, no one uh, that I know in in higher education supports uh, paying student athletes. This is about them being students and being successful in the classroom and on the court. You've got a tough job because we see in the news all the time. So, for an example, the recently negotiated TV contracts, the five biggest conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, Pac-12, and SEC, they're going to make nearly $14 billion in the next 15 to 20 years. You've got schools making 17 to $20 million a year. So your challenge, as I see it, is trying to still get the message across about student-athletes and amateurism when so many are focused on the big business of college athletics. How do you do that? Well, I think you're right, obviously, Brian. It's a heck of a challenge because you see those huge numbers on the TV contracts. What you don't see is where those dollars go and what they support. Uh, so last year there were only uh, 17 schools in Division One that had positive cash flow. The vast majority wind up spending all of their their media money, uh, those big contracts, if you will, to support all of their athletic programs. So uh, football money doesn't go just to support football. It supports track and and cross country and volleyball and you know all of the 16 to uh, to 30 sports that every Division One school has. Uh, the only thing that has uh, that has positive revenue coming out of it is football. So, uh, yeah, there every school is interested in trying to drive up their revenue around their media contracts because their expenses in all their other areas are very very high. We're joined by NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, I read a comment where you said recently you expect the NCAA rulebook to shrink dramatically by the start of the next school year. How do you plan on changing the rulebook in the coming months? Yeah, so coming out of this presidential uh, meeting that I had, we agreed on two things. One, that students are going to be serious students, and two, that we're going to have... um, uh, the, uh, we're going to conduct the, the games in a way that, that has great integrity behind it. And in order to do that, we need to shrink the rule book, get it down to where it's sensible, and the, and the issues that we're policing are, in fact, real threats to integrity, not some of the ticky-tack nonsense that's in there right now. I mean, we all recognize there's rules that are unenforceable. They don't necessarily make sense. They're, uh, they're, they're not the things that we're mostly concerned about. I have a, a working group that I put together that's going to, 
that's being led by the president of Clemson and uh, has ADs and coaches and um, athletes and uh, commissioners on it to help us look at that rule that rule book and um, throw out major sections of it and start all over again saying let's worry about what our major goals are here not not whether or not someone's sending a tweet or whether or not they're getting bagels when they shouldn't it's you know who's uh, who's engaged in uh, unethical behavior who's uh, who, who's got rogue boosters around who's got um, people that aren't being forthright when they're dealing with us, you know, the, the, it, frankly, the lessons our moms taught us, right? When that, we were kids, those are, those are where we need to focus, and that's what we're going to be doing. They're going to bring forward proposals in the coming uh, months, and by, um, by summer, we're going to have a very different set of rules. That's great. I think it's great that you're going to have some former and current maybe student athletes in the room because I think their perspective is important as well. So you mentioned earlier we've seen some pretty high profile scandals in the last year, Ohio State, Miami, North Carolina. Does the NCAA still have the bandwidth to identify and punish the cheaters or has this become too big of a job that maybe needs to be outsourced? Well, I don't think there's any uh, any um, thoughtful way to outsource it. You know, if if we need uh, what I've been saying all along is if we need more more staff or more resources on the job, then then we'll put them there. Uh, the the real challenge is that most people don't um, commonly think about because it's not it's not in their purview to worry about these things. Is the NCA, of course, is a voluntary association. We we engage in self policing of uh, of our membership. Uh, we don't have subpoena power. We don't have police powers. We're not a state agency. So uh, when we, we ask someone who's no longer part of, um, of collegiate athletics if they'll uh, tell us about this story or provide us with these facts, they, they're not compelled to do so. Uh, and so we wind up gathering uh, information about about cases, much like a good investigative reporter can do. You know, you you can get all your sources, you can get all your information, and and then at the end of the day, we have to make sure that the uh, the allegations are factual and that they're double checked and that we're we're doing things in the right fashion. So that's occasionally uh, I know frustrating the fans out there, but that's the way we have to go about our business. We're joined by NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, the story out of Penn State this week. It's shocking. It's disturbing. The allegations in the 23-page report are numbing. Share your reaction to this story, if you would. I suspect they're like everybody else's. Uh, They're much like you just uh, said, Brian. You know, I read that 23-page report, and it's just gut-wrenching. You know, this is a story that's not about sports, per se, but it's about someone uh, allegedly taking a position of power and trust and using it to, to abuse children. You know, that's that's about as disgusting a behavior as we have in our society. And, and so it's it's just shocking that, that this is going on and we have to let the, the, the legal system work its course and see what the real facts are. But to have this kind of a, um, a story surround a university and, a, and an athletic program that's been so revered for all the right reasons for so long is – is um, I, I think you use the word numbing. I think that's the right word. It, it, it just uh, leaves us all in a state of disbelief. President Emmert, when a story like this breaks, is there anything the NCAA can do? Do you have a role in this, or do you just kind of sit back and hope that everything takes care of itself in the proper way? Well, uh, of course, the the criminal justice system trumps uh, any NCAA bylaws. You know, this is this goes far beyond. Uh, anything you'd even think about in uh, in terms of an NCA infraction of course and and so we're going to we're going to um, uh, pay close attention to the process see how this plays out 
And then um, as it evolves, if there's a uh, role, a constructive role that we can play, or uh, there's there's any reason to believe NCA rules are violated here, we'll obviously act and we'll act um, aggressively. What's your reaction to the news that Joe Paterno, the coach with more wins than anyone else in college football, will retire at the end of the season after 46 years of coaching? I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of coaches in college sports. Well, that that anyone with a with such a distinguished career and who's been so iconic um, may end his career amidst these kinds of. Uh, issues is uh, I mean it evokes all kinds of emotion doesn't it I mean it, it's saddening it's frustrating it's um, uh, shocking in a lot of ways um, and, and so we we um, we hope that it it's handled as well as it possibly can and of course at the end of the day we we all want something as positive as we can to come out of this for these victims you know there's there's uh, allegedly at least eight young men now now young men who were boys who were victimized and uh, and doubtlessly uh, scarred for life because of all of this and and we need to find out what's the best thing to do for them well i definitely appreciate you answering that and i appreciate your stance on it i think at a time like this people want answers they want some sympathy and i've read your quotes in the last few days and i appreciate you uh, answering that question right there Talk to me about conference realignment. It seems like it's a big game of musical chairs, and while it's exciting for some schools, I think it's dizzying for other people. Is it good or bad for the NCAA with all these schools playing musical chairs? Yeah, it's it's largely neutral for the NCAA, but but I think the bigger question is what does it what does it all mean for you know just intercollegiate athletics overall? And and some of these conference moves make some sense for individual schools and probably for conferences. And and some of them are are you know leaving you scratching your head. Uh, the the issue is, of course, that the the schools themselves, individual universities, and as a guy who was a president of universities for uh, much of his career, uh, understands this. They're the ones that need to decide, and only a school can decide which conference it wants to be a part of, and only the conference itself can decide who do they want in their conference. And the NCAA doesn't play a role in all of that, and that's all well and good and makes some sense. But what, what I want to have happen is I want to make sure that people are making these decisions, boards and presidents and athletic directors and conferences themselves, um, carefully, thoughtfully, looking at the implications of this for student-athletes, recognizing that there's a lot of tradition and there's a lot of regional importance that these, that these conferences hold for our fans and our student bodies, um, and, and, then making, and then making good decisions uh, calmly and patiently. I, I think during the summer... We had um, something akin to, uh, to almost panic setting in. You're right. Musical chairs is, is exactly the right <laughs> metaphor, right? I mean, nobody wanted to be left without a chair. Right. And the chair is, for the most part, a BCS automatic qualification conference. So everybody wants to be in one of those. Um, everybody wants to try and maximize revenue. That's not a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing. But uh, on the other hand, when you fly in um, students uh, three-quarters of the way across the country to play a Tuesday night volleyball game and they got to be back in class on Wednesday morning, you know, you got to say, well, wait a minute, what, what does this mean for students? And we need to make sure everybody's thinking about the big picture of this, uh, this whole enterprise also. Just a few minutes left with NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, when the BCS TV contract expires after the 2014 BCS games, might we see a, a change in the current system, or is this what we're going to have for the foreseeable future? 
Well, uh, you, you know, this is just speculation. I would suspect that there'll be some changes. What those are is is um, obviously conjecture right now. Uh, there is, uh, of course, no no shortage of opinions on what the BCS is, right. isn't and what it should or shouldn't be. Uh, our job is that we we run uh, all of the championships for intercollegiate athletics, 89 of them, in fact, and uh, the one that we don't is is of course FBS football. NCAA's never run uh, those bowl games, and and if the the universities and the presidents want to move in a direction that the NCAA has a role in that, well, then we're more than happy to to play that role. But you know, people have to recognize that the bowl system, while it may not deliver the kind of championship they want, it, it's a pretty good system with with uh, 70 teams getting a chance to play postseason play. And and I, I've never met uh, football players that were walking off a field of a bowl game and said, "Gee, I wish I didn't get a chance to play in that bowl." You know, they love it. It's great opportunity. Schools like it. Uh, so whatever we do, we also need to make sure that that uh, some of those traditions are maintained because they're a big part of American society. So you think the fact that there's 35 bowl games, 70 teams going to bowl games, that's not watering it down, that's about right, and that's what the presidents want? Well, you know, again, we could debate about that all day, but yeah, it is what the presidents want, uh, and, and the system is, is in large part a, a, a market model we, the NCA, uh, through our membership, set the eligibility standards, and so, you know, we we changed the rules long before I got here that said you could be uh, six and six and go to a bowl game. Uh, we just added, of course, a new academic requirement so that if they're not also successful in the classroom, they're not going to get to a bowl game. So, uh, if if those rules, if our academic rules had been in place last year. Uh, eight teams would not have been bowl eligible, so there would not have been enough teams to to fill the uh, the 35 bowls. So we'd have had some bowls go dark for. Uh, imagine this, academic reasons. <laughs> well, and <laughs> correct, pleased about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but UConn wouldn't have made the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Yeah, that's right. There would have been seven teams that wouldn't have made it into the tournament last year. Now, our hope, of course, is that uh, by the time this is fully implemented in in three years that the behavioral change and that coaches will recognize that, look, our kids got to go to class or we're not going to get to play in the tournament. That's, that's pretty serious motivation. And, uh, and we're hoping that it'll create the kind of peer pressure among student athletes that they, uh, they watch each other go to class because then they'll, they'll be eligible, they'll do fine, and, uh, and no one wants to, uh, to say to their teammates, well, I, I, I flunked my uh, English class, so I guess we don't get to go to the dance this year. Yeah, that would be bad news. President Emmert, I'm based in Oregon. Many Duck supporters want to know when we might hear from the NCAA again about the investigation into Oregon's football program. Any updates that you can share there? Uh, and, you know, we don't comment on ongoing investigations other than to uh, reassure everybody that, that we're working on those issues as, as uh, assertively and aggressively as we can. Uh, it, it has been a very, very busy year for all my investigatory staff, uh, but, but they're working it and they're involved. They know that th- that this, you know, putting, putting people in limbo is, is difficult and we're not, we're not uh, unaware of it, but uh, I can't comment on the investigation itself. Last question for you. It's been an eventful first 12 months. What are your priorities for the next 12 months? Well, the next thing we've got to do, um, as we've said, is we've got to we've got to change the rule book. We're working hard on that right now. We're going to change the way we we conduct um, the, uh, the the infractions hearings to make those processes faster and and as fair as they can possibly be. Uh, we're going to focus our attention on on the credibility issues and restoring credibility because we've lost the benefit of the doubt in so many of these areas. Uh, that's going to take us um, much of this coming year, but. 
you know, if uh, we talk again this time next year and we got all that done, plus the other reforms, uh, that'd been a really wonderful start. Well, I think you're doing a great job. Again, you know, not an easy task you've had in your first 12 months. And you've been good about making swift changes so far. So I applaud you for it. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, talk to you later, Brian. Bye. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. If I was just another dusty record on the shelf, would you blow me off and play me like everybody else? If I asked you to scratch my back, could you manage that? It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us for the best of Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with you live next week. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I want to thank, as always, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Pack, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We're going to be doing our top 20 sports business stories of the year, our last two shows of the year in December. If you've got your nominees for top sports business stories of the year, send them my way, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at Sports Business Radio. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.